Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Chris Roebuck. He's the founder and CEO at Clicktivated, a patented interactive video technology that connects video and commerce by giving viewers the unique ability to directly interact with and shop individual items and products in videos as they watch. Chris Roebuck on the Riderflex podcast. How you doing, Chris? I am good, Steve. How are you? Hanging in there, man. It's, it's a crazy world we're living in there, but I'm doing okay. I'm, I, I, hey, I went out to happy hour with some friends the other day and had some beers, and that was a lot of fun just being out. It was super awesome. <laughs> being out is good. It's, it's, it's kind of weird, but it, it weird, right? Out a few times, too. It feels good just to not be at home for you know, a couple hours. The, the fascinating thing that I'm seeing now, and by the way, for the listeners, we're recording this on June 30th, 2020, which is like, the craziest year that I can ever remember. And I'm 53 years old. So um, interesting. So I'm walking to the bar. So was, I was fascinated with this, right? Because we got the whole mask thing and the virus and everybody's kind of like, it feels weird and everybody's being careful, but they want to get out and they want to drink beer, but they want to be careful all at the same time. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And so I was fascinated by this as I watched people. So it, they would get out of their car and they would wear a mask, they would wear a mask walking up to the location when they're not around anybody <laughs> and then when they would get to the bar and meet the people they wanted to meet at the at the table of five or six people then they take their mask off and drink and i think to myself like okay does that make any sense at all i'm not sure how that works okay so you're wearing the mask when you're not around people but then as soon as you sit down and you're around people then you take the mask off i'm like okay that's weird but anyway after a couple of beers i didn't care yeah, I, I think we're all trying to still figure out the whole mask thing and what to do, what not to do, and right. what makes sense. But I, we're we're just dealing with it. You just kind of have to do it when they want you to do it, and I'm good with it. Whatever. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, bro. I uh, I can't I can't live in a cave myself. Like I've got to get out. I got I got to be around people at some point, or else I'm gonna go crazy. I love my wife and all, but I gotta like I don't know. It was so awesome being around people. Anyway, you're in you're in Detroit. I am, uh, I'm just outside of Detroit, yep. Okay. Is that where you grew up? Because I noticed you went to school there too, right? So give us a little personal background about Chris. Yeah, so I, I grew up just outside of Detroit. Um, I've been here my entire life. Um, I'm one of those who never actually went anywhere after college. Um, I tried to, but opportunities just presented themselves here locally. So I ended up staying and then kind of after my first job in the agency world, I again tried to move and another opportunity presented itself. So here I am and at this point, I'm not really expecting a move, but no, we love it here. We're up in, in Birmingham, um, just great way of life, good people. And you know, we've got a baby now, so we're, we're pretty oh, settled. Okay, married with the baby, how old's your, your kid? She just turned one earlier this month. 
Ooh, oh man! All right, brand new. You're still learning all the all, all the, the the ins and outs of being a parent, huh? We we are learning all about it, and I will have a big learning experience for you tomorrow since we are driving to Nashville. So eight hours or nine or ten, whatever this is going to take with a one year old, will be. Oh, that, okay. I'd rather like I don't know, stick needles in my eyeballs or something than do that. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I, I, I might take that too if you want to do the driving, and I'll just keep it down there. Uh, I'm just joking around. I have four grown children, so uh, I've been through anything you could probably possibly imagine. Yeah. Uh, um, well, congratulations on all right, one-year-old daughter. Awesome. Yep. Um, yep. And you and tell me about your wife. So, uh, did you guys meet at Michigan State, or what's the deal? So yeah, so we did meet at Michigan State. Um, we started dating once we both graduated. Um, been together for over ten years now. We got married in 2016 and you know we're coming up on on four years being married here in july and it's been great no complaints wow. but yeah we met you? at school we love love michigan state um got some some issues with their football team right now but we had we had a good run for 10 years that i never expected but now all of a sudden it's a interesting interesting situation we found ourselves in but did something happen? I don't know. I haven't been following the news. Did they get a new coach? Did they fire the coach? What happened? Well, well, we did get a new coach. Um, but Mark D'Antonio, who I'm, I'm sure you probably are familiar with, he, uh, he kind of just ended up leaving on a really weird, sour note. He was pulling the, the whole program down, wanted to dictate that he was going to be the, uh, the one that chose his successor. And the board said, no, you're not. And then he quit. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like after after all the recruiting was done, this was basically coming into spring practice. I think it was February, and it left the whole school scrambling trying to find a coach because everybody was situated at that point. So, wow, okay, yeah. interesting. So, you know, you know these these football coaches sometimes they they uh, you know they think they run everything, which maybe in some cases they do. I don't know. They have a lot of power and a lot of control for sure. So, so where, where'd you go? Where do you root for? Uh, so I went to a small liberal arts school in Oklahoma, science and arts of Oklahoma. We didn't have a foot. We didn't even have a football team, but uh, I was near, it was near uh, Oklahoma university. So I was kind of a sooner fan. Um, now, interesting. So you knew your wife in college, but you didn't date. So, uh, what, so you like, what well, you saw her at parties. You're like, okay, I know her, but we're not going to date right now. What, what happened there? What, 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 you didn't make any moves until after school or what? I mean, not nothing really. I mean, we, we had a lot of common friends, but, you know, we never really even talked during college until I, see, I'm, I'm a little bit older. So once I graduated ah. and then like, I would go back for full games and then, you know, we started to, to chat at that point, but nothing really serious until at least a year or two after she got out of there and the rest was history. All right. All right. And tell me Just about your, tell no me about reason. your, okay. Tell me about your folks, your, your, your parents. Are they still in Michigan? <clears throat> they are. They're still here uh, doing great. Um, my dad is still, you know, working on projects. He's, uh, he's been a really successful entrepreneur his whole life. So that's definitely where uh, I get the, the blood uh, from. Um, kind of leads me to where, where I am today. But, um, yeah, no, he's good. My mom's good. They're loving time with the baby. And... They, uh, they were kind of bummed out that they couldn't spend the rest of the spring down in Florida because of the whole 
pandemic that we're in. So they, uh, they came back pretty early, but no, they're, they're great. Um, I have one sister that I mentioned earlier who's out in Denver and that's my family. It's a really small family. Okay. Very good. So your dad was an entrepreneur. That's where the bug comes from. Huh? You, you uh, followed those footsteps a little bit. Okay. Walk us. So, so graduating, um, what, what was your major? So my major was advertising. So I came out of the, the com art school at Michigan state. Okay. All right. And so when you graduated now, back then, were you thinking, I want to run my own business like my dad, or you didn't know for sure? I mean, coming out of college, you really don't know, or at least I didn't. It was kind of, you were having that. so much fun that it was like, oh, this is over. This, this <laughs> kind of a, a weird transition. So, um, uh, is it? That's so true. Let's just take a pause right there for the <laughs> listeners, right? That's, that's almost exactly how it happens. It's like, oh. Oh shit! This is over now. Like, damn. Okay, that was fun. Can we can we do that again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's kind of surreal, and it. I mean, everybody's a little bit different, but I, I don't think you really can really prepare for what comes after college. You can think right. about it, and you know, you kind of get to that point. But as soon as like graduation happens, and you know, it's like college is done, and you're packing and you're moving, then it's like, okay, this is. <laughs> kind of surreal because you know I've been in this routine for years and I, you know I'm not coming back next year. So what's next? Right. So it's it's an interesting transition. Um, I wouldn't say it's crazy or anything, but it's just it's a mindset yeah. that needs to change pretty quickly. So you started applying and you got picked up by PhD Worldwide or what happened? Yeah. So I mean, like I just said, so my my, my degree was in advertising. Um, the natural first step was to go do the agency gig for a little bit. Um, okay. so I did, I mean, applied all over the place, uh, eventually took a job at PhD, which is the media arm of BBDO here in Detroit, working on Chrysler Jeep and Dodge accounts. Um, and you know, it was a great learning experience. Uh, I kind of knew pretty quickly that it wasn't really for me, but I also knew that, I was still young and I needed to really see it through. Okay. So stayed there for a couple of years and then eventually I was like, all right, I need to do something different. I need to really challenge myself. I wasn't just finding any real, real challenges. Um, people around me were good, but it just didn't seem like anybody was really as motivated as I kind of considered myself. So I left the agency. I didn't even have another, uh, another gig lined up. I kind of took that leap of faith and, were you married? Uh, Were you married at the time? No, I, I, okay, I was okay. not. No, I got married pretty, okay. pretty late. Okay. Okay. All right. So you quit that job. Were you still living at home? Where were you living at, at the time? I was still, uh, no, I was living in Royal Oak at that point, I believe, um, okay. which is just another town just north or actually just south of, of where I grew up. Okay. Um, and I, uh, I ended up getting involved with a this was back 2008, 2009, so right in the middle of the, the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. Again, I was looking, looking at jobs in Chicago. I was flying and driving back and forth all the time, interviewing with agencies and networks and just different places on the marketing and advertising side. Mm. And then I'm getting pulled into an opportunity to, um, to get involved from an investment and management standpoint on uh, housing in Detroit. Okay. Where we would buy houses, fix them up, rent them with the idea of being able to then package them off and sell them to uh, investors. 
Perfect time to do perfect time to do to do that in 08, 09, and ten, right? Uh, well, it's that's a much longer conversation probably for <laughs> another day. But I, I let's just say we got uh, stuck with quite a few of them. Um, mm. But it it was without getting uh, boring everybody. It was a, it was an awesome learning experience because of just you know what we had to kind of overcome and deal with during that that mm. time. Mm-hmm. and uh we eventually did get get out from under everything and that was kind of the beginning of, of kind of my entrepreneurial journey and so you did that with what a couple of friends your dad or who was involved in that <clears throat> um there was a couple partners that were involved um my dad was actually one of them and it was one of those that i said to him i still say it to him sometimes is one of those things that looked really good on paper but in reality, it was a much, much different situation. So, okay. um, yeah, it was, okay. it was, it was unique. <laughs> Did that for a couple of years, then what? So then after that, then that's kind of where, again, where I'm like, all right, well now, now what should I do? So I was still, you know, really young. And I knew that I always wanted to do something in tech. Again, this is call it 2000. 2011 at this 11, point 10, 11, um, okay. all right and you know i started kind of kicking around some ideas i um threw together a couple different prototypes um one was around sports and creating just a better overall fan experience because i mean looking back almost 10 years ago at this point the fan experience online and through through mobile specifically was really very minimal um we tend to forget how quickly things change and how quickly we become used to something that is is new is different that really changes how we engage and interact with a lot of different things agreed so at that point it was just how do we create an overall better experience in stadium out of stadium and just help fans connect with teams in a more effective way um never really never really gain any traction um then the next endeavor was we built a a geofencing um, app so that would allow retailers to then this restarted transitioning into retail where at that point it was you know e-commerce was really starting to take off um, in like a big meaningful way and we wanted to figure out a way to help brick and mortars pull consumers into their locations so what we did is we created an app that would allow them to reach out to you as a consumer at a Home Depot or a Macy's or a Target and if you're within a general location they can ping you with a potential deal and offer to try to incentivize you to come into their store during that time or even when you're within this this geographical area so we did that um that actually took us down um to brazil out of all places in terms of kind of what market started to really gravitate towards that a little bit okay um, and uh it was really during that when we were doing the brazil thing that this whole idea for clicktivated started to to kind of become more and more of a thing okay let me mind. let me let, let me take a pause right here the, what you just described all happened between like 2010 and 2013 i think somewhere somewhere in there so there's like a three-year period when you're messing around with a couple of these things sky apps and and what i see on your linkedin says enlightened technologies is that right Yep, that is correct. Who who is we, by the way? Who's we? 
So it's, it's myself and my, uh, my, uh, my partner in Clicktivated and our CTO, um, Neil. So we were the ones that were going okay. through this, this journey okay. together. And okay. he, was, he was doing developing. I was doing the business development. I see. And it was, it was an interesting, that was another really interesting learning experience. Totally different market, very different setup. They were very mobile centric down there. We tend to forget, even though I, I consider the U.S. to be a very mobile heavy market uh -huh. compared to some of the other parts of the world, we're really lagging. Okay. And now, okay. Oh, go ahead. Well, are these two guys, these two friends of yours, were they involved in the real estate stuff too? Um, they were not, no. Okay, so you got these two buddies. You try a couple of these entities. Were these these were LLCs? These were full blown entities. Did you guys have operating agreements, cap tables, things like that, or it was a little more loose than that? Uh, no, we did. I mean, we were a functioning LLC at that point, so okay. yeah, we we were we were official. And, yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Were you were you eating? Were you paying yourselves? Were you making any money? Like, how were you surviving? I, we were not really making any money on that. Um, and That's really the, the biggest yeah. challenge we ran into with that project was it was really when Groupon and living social were really exploding okay. and it just started to enter into that market. And that's when we, uh, we started to realize it was going to be very difficult because we were in very small operation trying to operate in a large emerging market. Um, and yeah, right. The big was, was, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was going to be tough. It wasn't something that we were necessarily scared of, but that's when, again, this idea for Clicktivated started to happen where we said, all right, well, now we've got, we've got two things that we're, we're looking at. We can't do both. You know, which one presents the most opportunity right now? Which one do we believe in for the long term? Okay. And we started to, to transition all of the, uh, the thought into uh, Clicktivated. Were you three, were you three bootstrapping all this stuff together? Like you three are putting in money. You're, you're one of the reasons, the reason I'm going down this path, you know, a lot of times our listeners, they, uh, they see on the LinkedIn, like, Oh, started this company, then went to that company. But okay. Well, how, how did you guys bootstrap this? Did you raise some cash? Did dad put in some money? What, how did you, how did you get to surviving those three years with those two entities? Did you just put money in yourself? Yeah. So, so those ones were bootstrapped. Okay. Um, we, we were, I mean, we were really, I'll even say just, you know, pretty inexperienced entering into that universe. So the idea of going out and raising venture or angel or just capital at that point was okay. something we knew about. And, you know, we would have discussions, but we, we didn't okay. know what we were doing. Okay. So we ended up not raising anything for those. We bootstrapped them. Um, okay. But that, that did evolve. And then as you started leaning towards Clicktivated, okay, so now you're like, you, now you're pivoting, really, really what you're doing is pivoting as you went through these two startups, you and your buddies a little bit. They were aggressive pivots because they were in different markets doing different things. But yeah, I guess we could say they were pivoting. We were pivoting, okay. yeah. Okay. All right, cool. All right. I just wanted to get a feel for that. Okay. So then you start formulating Clicktivated. Go ahead. Give us that kind of story on how Clicktivated started there and where it's at today. Yeah, so I mean the the story really revolved around I was watching more and more video online. Um, I've always considered myself to be a a pretty good consumer, and I started to run into this frustration of I was always seeing things that I wanted to buy. So it was like a shirt here, there's a jacket there, there's a pair of shoes. Like, oh, that's cool. Like, what is that? Yeah, and 
going through the process of trying to find these products online was the most frustrating, ineffective thing that a consumer could go through. So I'm, I'm now starting to look at this from both um, a consumer standpoint and then from like a market opportunity standpoint, where, where does this fit in? You know, this might be my, my issue, but I knew that I wasn't the only one sitting there looking at things saying, Oh, I would buy that. How can I get to that? And going through that process. So uh, at that point in time, again, 2013 ish, um, you know, everybody had an iPhone. So everybody was becoming more and more conditioned to engage and touch things kind of wherever and whenever they, uh, they came across them. So the market was being conditioned. We knew that since everything was moving towards more of a touchable experience, that it was just a matter of time before video evolved from a passive lean back format and experience to more of a active lean forward interactive experience. So okay. uh, we got together and we said, all right, here's a, uh, this is a real opportunity. Let's try to figure out a solution here. And then we went on with the journey. And nobody. Okay. And now give us the, give us the, I don't know, the two minute elevator pitch for Clicktivated. Pretend like you're, you're raising some cash. You got, you got two minutes. Give it to me. All right. So, so I clicked the video. So what we do is we make video shoppable and more valuable. So we've created a piece of technology at this point that now gives viewers the unique ability to directly click any individual product or item inside video as they watch. So think about now you're watching something and let's say I'm on TV and you want to, you want this shirt. You can now physically click on my shirt through the video. itself. yeah, through the video itself, it'll tell you what it is. And then ultimately we'll link you out to that page to go buy it. Um, the way this works is we believe in a very clean, non-intrusive UX. So we don't put hotspots, buttons, markers, pop-ups on top of the video because we knew both short-term and long-term that was not going to be a viable, scalable option because one thing that I know I hate, and I'm sure you do too, is pop-ups and things on top of video because you're spending all this time just Xing them out and just trying to clear the clutter. So we wanted to clear it for the consumer right off the bat and give them the ability to um, to click whenever they see something of interest inside the video. And nobody else was doing this at the time? Uh, at the time, no. Um, and even competition today is still pretty surprisingly limited. There's some reasons for that, but it's, it's still limited. And speaking of the competition, I noticed on your website, you say patented. Uh, so, so are you telling me nobody else is going to come out with software like this where I can click mm-hmm. on the stuff? How, how are you protecting yourself there? Or can you? Yeah, so, so our technology is patented. Uh, there's a couple different uh, methods that we have patented, including engaging within the video itself, how we're activating products, and ultimately how we're feeding that out to the consumer. So we okay. believe we've done a pretty good, robust job initially. I mean, this, this never stops, but um, of protecting ourselves from a click standpoint, a distribution standpoint, and then an activation standpoint right now. Wow, okay. All right. What's the business model? How, how do you make money? Who do you charge? Talk to me about that. So our model is on a, we license our tech um, on a per video basis right now. Uh, we do offer tiered pricing based on quantity, um, but our standard pricing is around a, a per video license. So we would license, let's say you're, you're a Target or a Home Depot or Walmart. We would license you the technology um, to then distribute those shoppable and interactive videos on site through uh, an ad campaign or through some um, third-party integration as well. Gotcha. So if I'm clicking on the Nike shoes, 
it's taking me to the retailer or the e-commerce uh, platform that's selling that shoe. It's not taking me to Nike.com. It's taking me to whatever retailer is pushing it. Yeah, it, it would it would depend. So if our client was Nike in that situation, it's going to push you <clears throat> directly to Nike. But if our client is Macy's in that case or Kohl's, the traffic is going to be pushed to that product within those retailer websites. Okay, and then are they paying you? Are they paying you per per click per purchase? How does that work? Um, the license revolves around a per uh, per video right now, so no cost per click. We try to make it as, as simple as possible. So there's a price to use it, and that's the all-in cost. We don't we don't really believe in nickel diming either. So it's so data, they pay they pay you, they pay they okay they pay you one time to be able to put that technology on their video. That's it. And then however however many times it's used, they don't have to pay you any more money. Correct for for each video. That is correct. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, and then where's it at today? Like how big is the company? Well, give me give me some sort of idea on size, like employees or general revenue or number of customers or something like how, how big is it? So what, what I can share there is we are still a, a pretty small team, but we've been able to do some, some pretty amazing things. So there are five of us. We are located here in Detroit. I feel like that we've been able to do the work of about a 15 person team at this point in terms okay. of okay. where we've gotten clients. We have partnerships that we have in place and more importantly, what we're working on. So We've done a lot with relatively limited resources over time. Um, are, you, and are, you, are you making money? Revenues coming in? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're making money. I mean, this year has been interesting, but we've, we're starting to see a pretty nice rebound coming out of uh, March and April uh, when retailers are starting to realize that brand specific brands and retailers, I, I should say that the shock of this whole shutdown has it was, it was hard for everybody because nobody's ever had to deal with this. So the entire universe was trying to figure out what this is, what to do with it and how to move forward. So as we got into that, how to move forward stage, it became very obvious that the shopping experience was going to be drastically different. Stores are still closed in a lot of places. Consumers are not excited to go running back into a crowded store or a mall and the fact that e-commerce has, has exploded the way it has over the last couple months just shows that this is going to be the new norm. And what, what we're helping do is just effectively take video, which is brands, retailers, everybody's favorite form of communication, and then make it active, make it shoppable, and allow the consumers to be able to get what they want in a really in a frictionless, easy, simple experience. And everything is, is moving more and more digital seemingly by the day because right. can't leave. <laughs> everybody's not running out of their house again to go to the store. So brands still need to sell. Consumers still want to buy. And we need to help pair them up, which we're, which we're doing right now. I mean, terrible what the country's going through. But I guess the silver lining for you is, I don't know, it maybe helped your business speed up a little bit, I think, maybe. It, there's definitely an acceleration of um ways to combine content and commerce there's no doubt uh this is being talked about from the large platforms down to smaller more independent retailers and brands and it's a new thing and this idea of shoppable anything is becoming real where it doesn't matter where you come across it how you come across it we believe in that idea of shoppable anything that you should be able to see it and click it if you want to you can buy it directly with you know, on the spot, we believe in making it as simple on the consumer as possible. And that's, those are the universes that are colliding right now. So something that 
has taken a lot longer, frankly, than we would have thought. It was really starting to accelerate here at the beginning of the year, but this whole situation now is really even accelerating it quicker um, through the, the rest of this year and then into 21. Uh, yeah, I would, I, would, I would think so. Uh, okay, so did you bootstrap this one or did you, have you raised some cash? Um, so we put in some money, but we did finally go out to the market and raise money. Um, like a seed round, friends so and family seed round? We, we've done, we've done venture. We've done, oh. we've done angels. We've done oh. Uh, oh. friends and okay. family. So this is kind of a, a good combination of, of everything into this company. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. I, I didn't see, I didn't, I wasn't able to pull up anything from VC online. I didn't find that. I'll have to dig deeper. Can't put everything <laughs> out there. <laughs> uh, is Chris still in charge or have you had to give up uh, uh, control now? Do you, is the cap table super huge and uh, now there's a bunch of other people involved? I know that can be uh, challenging and messy. It, it can be, um, but no, I mean, we're, we're still in charge. Um, Okay. We've done a good job, I and mean, we've got a, our, our partners in this have been great. Um, so it's a really good group of people, and, um, and I guess and groups that have invested into the company. Mm-hmm. So we've done actually a lot of work over the last eight months or so to to really clean up the cap table because going through this, and as we're expanding, and as we're going into another round currently, we, we it was important that. We converted oh. over as many investors from notes into actual shareholders just to make sure we didn't have all those those items on the balance sheet hanging out there because uh, investors tend to not like big notes and debt on the balance sheet. So we, we did a lot of work to clean it up. Unfortunately, our, our partners were um, very willing to go along with that. Oh, made some great experiences, though, for you there. Lots of learnings, right? What What advice would you give the listeners on either raising cash and or managing the cap table. Anything you want to share? Oh, man. Um, raising money is, well, I guess the thing I'll tell them is, unless you're one of those, those rare odd ones that I, I wish I was that get really lucky really early in terms of raising capital where you make three calls and the first two pick up and they're like, yeah, we're in. What? No, that whole, that's how it happened for you? No, it's not. Oh, that's oh, oh, I, I oh, wish okay, that was okay. one of those. <laughs> <laughs> those uh, outliers in that world, but no. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I would say is, is raising capital doesn't matter what the market's like. is is very difficult. Um, it's a long, tedious process. I would say, um, you know, you need to go into it knowing that you're going to hear a lot of feedback. I would be very, I guess, I don't want to say cautious, but. Typically, the people you talk to are going to be very nice. They're going to tell you what you've got is, is cool, usually. And then, you know, as soon as you're off the phone or out of the meeting, then, you know, then that's when they tell you to kind of, you know, get lost. So, <laughs> you know, don't take what you're hearing necessarily for, for granted. Um, it is a long process. I mean, we've been, we've been at this for years. And just, be, just kind of take it in stride. Don't, don't think you're going to be able to accomplish everything immediately because you there is a long tail kind of learning process on all this that the only way you really can learn is going through it mm-hmm. you're going to get beat up you're going to come through you're going to feel like you're a loser you feel like you've got nothing going on but you know if you believe in what you're doing and you really think that there is a market opportunity and there's something there it's it's a hard conversation to have with yourself because everybody with an idea thinks they've got the next big thing but if if you've got some traction, if you've got 
validation and buy-in from notable clients and it's actually like okay yeah there's there's something here then just just be prepared to kind of hatch down and and be ready for the uh the bumpy ride which is going out and trying to raise capital after that now were your friends officially co-founders in the business or no uh, <laughs> well, it's 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 an interesting thing but yes um for, for the point of this yes yes okay uh who's the one asking the, the the person across the table to write the check is that you or is that somebody else on your team that's that's me <laughs> so would you like to write a check yeah <laughs> you know i just it's always fascinating to talk to people about the raising the cash topic right because it's super ass hard right you you kind of learn on the fly there's it's not like you take a class to to teach you how to do it <laughs> most of the time no and it's, it's so hard and the the investor mindset is so different across the country mm. that's one thing that I know we didn't really see. I mean, you heard about the Valley. Well, New York was kind of not really, it was just kind of New York, but it was always like the Valley and then everything else. But yeah. over time it's evolved across the country. So your, your mindset in California and, and San Francisco is different than it is down in LA, which is very different than it is in Chicago, which is very different than it is here in Detroit, which is extremely different than it is in, on the East coast. So it's, it, it's just, that's, that's part of that process. And you have to be, willing to to talk to a lot of people to try to uh you know it's well, just it's a numbers thing at the end of the day and i would say another thing is just do your research make sure there's there's something there and, and don't don't chase something that doesn't exist because we've gone down that and it's just you end up wasting a lot of time and mental energy when you think there's something there when when you look back it was like yeah it probably really wasn't but mm. Mm. You're chasing the the idea of that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And it's yeah. frustrating. I'm guessing most of your money's been poured into developers, right? Payroll for developers, probably. I'm just guessing. Yeah, we, we've made substantial investments, as you can imagine, into the the technology yeah. and the platform. Um, yeah. yeah. And the rest is oh, some, legal, some, some, some legal fees to get it patented. <laughs> yeah. So if I do a shout out to all of our lawyers, maybe they'll give me a discount. But I don't <laughs> uh, now, you, now, what's what's been the scariest moment for you? Have uh, I'm, I'm assuming there's been a few. Any particular one you want to share when you woke up in the middle of the night thinking, holy crap, I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> um, any particular moment? Uh, there, I mean, there's been a few. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll share one story and I, w I won't share any names, but so we, we went through the, the Techstars retail program in Minneapolis uh, fall of 2018. Mm -hmm. um, great experience, great program. Target was phenomenal during that whole process. Um, but it was, I think it was like two or three days before demo day. I get a call from, from our first VC kind of ironically on topic here. Yeah. And they said, they just kind of out of nowhere announced that they were shutting down their fund and they were calling everybody's notes. And I remember the moment I remember exactly where I was. I was walking through the skyway in Minneapolis and I stopped in a hotel to take the call. And I remember just being like floored where we had built all this momentum and all this excitement around, the last three months in that program and yeah, I'm about to get on stage and, and do the song and dance and, <laughs> and I get this call out of nowhere. And, you know, we, 
it, it was it was devastating because we were not really in a place where we could facilitate what they were asking for. I mean, it was. And had you already spent the cash or was some cash still in the bank? Oh, no. I mean, they invested years ago. So there was. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it's not like. <laughs> no. And, and then it, yeah. it, it was it was extremely stressful. And I was thinking like this, this might be it. This might be the end of of this because the rights that they had, which we would never agree to again, were were just very they had all of the control. Ooh. So it was it was a rough four months after that negotiating terms and getting through it. But I, w- I mean, fortunately, uh, you know, it's, they, they weren't, it wasn't a bad group of guys. So we were able to, to have a good dialogue with them. And, we, you know, we, we negotiated through it and we both came up with a deal that was good for both parties and we, we went on our way. So we who did get your- through it. Who was your mentor in all this? Did you lean on your dad for experience? Did you, you said your dad was an entrepreneur. Did he have a bunch of experience raising cash? Who'd you lean towards for this? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my, my dad through all of this has been, been an amazing resource because he's got years and years of experience in just not only just life, but in business right. as well. So yeah, I mean, these are the situations where he was very helpful to mainly kind of keep me calm because I was just freaking out <laughs> and, you know, come up with, help me come up with solutions around it and different ways to, to kind of navigate that storm. And it's, it's funny when it comes to raising capital, you know, back in his, his day, like venture didn't exist. I mean, right, right. it went to a bank. It was like, you had an idea, you went to the bank and the bank gave you money and you ran your business. And obviously yeah. that has not been, a, a real reasonable or feasible thing for years, but um, no, he's, he's been an unbelievable yeah. valuable uh, asset to the team. He's, he's an advisor to the company and he's, yeah. Yeah, he's added a lot. Now that, that experience you were telling me about there, when you got that phone call, if I'm doing the math right, you were married at the time when that happened. I was married. Yep. How'd that conversation go? Did you call and say, uh, holy shit, I don't, uh, by the way, does your wife work? Does she have yeah, a career? She, she's, she's a high school uh, math teacher. Okay, so you're doing the math in your head. You're like, see, can we survive on the on her salary for? A <laughs> oh, I, I mean, my, my I went from kind of angry to to stressed, and then you know, I, I knew we would find a way through it, but it was just you know, they will. I have to admit, it took a couple of days to get to that point but I, I eventually knew we'd find a way through it and we had put too much into this just to let it go down with something like that so like i said we're fortunate to get through it um and we we kind of positioned ourselves moving forward that you know we would never put ourselves in that position again good for you but, lots of you know, yeah lots of learning experiences with raising cash and cap tables and managing those relationships you've learned a ton probably yeah, and, and and you asked about my wife. I mean, she was great through it because she kind of said, "All right, we'll go figure it out." So, that's what we did. <laughs> uh, so she's been supportive, or were there some times where she was like, "Ah, you need to do something else"? Uh, no, she's she's been super supportive. It's uh, it okay. probably wouldn't work if she wasn't. So yeah, she's she's been great through it. It's you know ups and downs through through the through the years, but um, finally gotten to a point where. I think there's a real light at the end of the tunnel for sure. Let, let's talk about that real quick. So I, I, ha, I have to tell you, when I was doing my homework on you and I looked up Clicktivated, by the way, for the listeners, clicktivated.com, 
when I looked it up and I watched the video you have on there, which is pretty good. And that same video is on your Facebook page, I think. My immediate reaction was, oh, this, this should be like common. This should be everywhere. This should be on all the videos. Like, why isn't this, why isn't this bigger? Why is, why don't I know about this was my reaction. Not, why isn't this bigger? Why isn't it everywhere? Why, why haven't I heard about it? And then when I looked up your team and I saw your company and I thought, yeah, you know, five or six people involved, same, same reaction. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is a great idea. I, why isn't this huge? Talk to me about that. That was my reaction. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I appreciate that reaction. Um, if you can, as you can imagine, you know, we hear that quite a bit and yeah. you know, there, there's a couple main factors that, that have, caused well i don't want to even say cause well how i'll explain this is when we first started kicking around the idea all those years ago and we went through betas we're developing the technology um the response from everybody that we talked to from a, a brand and retail standpoint was very positive it was like oh my god we've thought about this didn't know it existed this is great so we're like okay good you know validation number one yep. and when they would do these 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 tests and these betas the response from their consumers was really good. So it's like, okay, good. I mean, we're seeing really strong results. So that's validation number two. But the one thing we didn't ever really factor in was how long it takes for like an entire market to start adopting something different and something new. It, like that's, it's kind of goes into one of those learning things. And we have the, I like to think we've got the luxury of being able to look back at everything we've experienced to kind of see how things have, how things started and then kind of where things are today. Mm. But the market itself was just, it wasn't ready for mass adoption. Consumers weren't ready for it and just the market wasn't ready for it. Um, and you put those two together and using the consumer as number one, not really being fully ready to start engaging with video and the idea around it. It just took a lot longer than we ever would have imagined. But then kind of fast forward through the years, everything else started becoming more and more engaging and clickable. And everybody was attached to their, to their phone and always on Instagram and scrolling through. I mean, everything just became kind of second nature. So therefore the conditioning of that consumer is what took a long time. And now that the, the consumer has been conditioned, the market is right behind it trying to always catch up to the consumer because their market's never in front of the consumer. It doesn't matter what anybody says. The consumer's always going to be ahead of the market. And now the market's finally caught up to say, all right, we know that you want and need something different. We need to offer you something else. We need to create more connectivity and better communication with you so that you have a better experience and ultimately you buy more. So market and consumer conditioning were the two things. And I know a lot of people think, it might sound like a cop out, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you based on market research, what, what okay. we've lived okay. through and we even what we're hearing today, that all of those are totally legit in terms of why this is taking so long, but. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would be worried if I were you, that, I mean, this is such a great idea and I would think it would be commonplace. Um, I would be worried on the speed to market, speed to, uh, being relative, I guess, uh, I'd be worried somebody else is building something else faster that has more money and more sales and more marketing and more developers. Do you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that keeps you up at night a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of has to. If if it doesn't, you're not just you're not paying attention to right. reality. So, um, the reason why we feel like we're in a good spot is we've we've started to develop our next phase of technology, which we're ultimately moving down the path to automated recognition within video. So we've we've already patented and we've figured right. out how right. to automatically identify uh, items in video using artificial intelligence, computer vision, machine learning, and then these other methods that we've now created. So we believe at that point when we can put the, the tool into the hands of the content creator, it takes them a matter of, of moments to create their interactive or shoppable video. That's really when it starts to scale out. And that's when large scale partnerships become more of a reality because then we've not only proven the market viability, but now we've proven the fact that we can, we can really scale this thing out because it's been the scale piece that has been a really difficult um, thing for everybody in this space. Even, even the big boys, the Googles, the Facebooks, and they really struggled trying to figure out how to create interactivity and shoppability within video. So Interesting. this is one of those unique situations where it's not always necessarily just about, um, you know, having, having the, 2000 developers behind the scenes. It's a matter of knowing specifically what you need to do and then having the, the technical brains to go put it together. So we're, we're fortunate in both of those. Okay. I want to give you not to get too granular, I think is the right word here, but I'll tell you when I, when I was watching it, my immediate thought was this, I'll just use myself as an example. If I do watch YouTube, I watch some guys that are, uh, um, outdoor enthusiast, camp, uh, camping, wildlife, stuff like that. So I, I'm a big, I live in Colorado, so I'm always up in the mountains. Yeah, and so sure. I, I, there's two or three guys I follow that go up to the mountains and I'm always watching them and seeing what they're doing or where they're going. And often when they're up there, they're using tools or things, right? Whatever. I don't know, a certain chainsaw, a certain, <clears throat> certain cooking device or whatever. Um, I would love it if I could just click on the screen when the guy's using the thing and, and it boom. But my reaction was when I was studying for you and I was thinking about myself, I would want it to, I would want it to, I would want to click on the chainsaw and I would want it to take me right to Amazon and tell me whether or not I could order it on Amazon. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to look around and go to another website yeah. and sign and sign up and all that. Uh, talk, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly what we do. I mean, you see that chainsaw in that case, you click on it, you will be placed in position to then know buy that chainsaw and not have to go through any other steps. So that's, okay. that's exactly what we will help you do. Okay. I, I'm ready for your stuff to be everywhere, yeah. my man. I, lo I love it. I love the idea. I love the idea. Uh, um, so wrapping up here, you've learned a lot in the last six and a half. So, well, even before Clicktivated, right? You had some other entrepreneurial experience. So we'll call it the last 10 years. Yep. If there is an aspiring entrepreneur listening to this episode, is there, what, what 30,000 foot couple of things would you tell them if they have an idea, but they haven't started yet? What would you tell them today? Um, if you've got an idea and you haven't started anything yet, I guess what I would do is I would recommend finding as many people, smart people in and around your circles, not necessarily direct, but uh, that you can get connected to, to have a conversation about what you're doing to start trying to figure out the business um, kind of viability of, of this idea. Um, I would be wide open to feedback, both positive and negative. The last thing 
any initial entrepreneur needs is just a bunch of pats on the back. Um, I say all the time, like, I, I don't need any more pats on the back. Like, that's, it's, it's cute and it's fine, but it doesn't actually do anything except it's just somebody being nice and telling you your stuff's great. But, you know, you, you want some real kind of hard, truthful feedback from just individuals or companies, whoever you can get in front of and just embrace what you're going to hear and then take all that information back and then figure out, all right, now do we have something? Do I have to tweak something? You know, where do we go from here? And then at that point, it's kind of a, you've got different paths to go down, but if it's just in the idea stage, yeah, just, just talk to as many people, ask people for, for advice, opinions. People are usually pretty open to that. Even at, even at VCs, like don't be afraid to just reach out and say, Hey, I've got an idea. Worst thing that happens is they don't get back to you. So it's no harm, no foul. But if you're just looking for advice and opinions, people usually are pretty open to helping other entrepreneurs out or, um, you know, people in, in those shoes. So that's at least what we found. Um, Very good. Yeah. So I, I would say just at that stage, just talk to as many people and then try to figure out what the business model is and start putting the pieces together and just have your, uh, you got to have your guard down, but just remain as, you know, not only just focused, but just know that you're going to get beat up along the way. So just, you're going to have to go in and just be very tough. Yeah. It's not for the uh, entrepreneurship. It's not for the lighthearted, lighthearted or, or, or soft personalities, is it? <laughs> it's not really like the show on TV where you go out and get an idea, you raise, you raise $10 million quickly. And all of a sudden you've got a hundred million dollar raise, a billion dollar company, and you're driving four Lamborghinis. I wish it was like that, but unfortunately <laughs> it's not. So. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Last question. Um, if you had to define your core purpose in life, but I asked you if, but I asked you to push that beyond your wife and daughter, which I'm going to, let's just, let's just block that off to the side and understand that that's priority beyond, beyond them. What's Chris's core purpose in life? Wow. Um, I, you know, I, I enjoy helping people because I've been, you know, I've been fortunate through my life and I've gotten a lot of help along the way as well. So I, I try to really, do as much that I can to help other people, not only just in business, but in, in general. Um, I, I, I can't really get into too much more. Otherwise I'll start blabbing, but I would say, I would say that's probably the way I would look at it. Um, I don't find myself to be very selfish. So I like helping people because everybody can use some help. Well, you've done that on this podcast because you've shared your story and you've given lots of great advice. So you're doing that now. Good. Well, I, uh, I appreciate it. This was fun. I'm glad we could, uh, we could do this. The Rutterflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.